Well, Delinda Grindle, welcome to uh, the journey. And you've been on here a, a handful of times. And uh, so I appreciate uh, all the work that you do for the community, as well as the work that you do for uh, for KP and, and obviously um, being part of part of Diane and our family. So I get to, I get not only professionally to work with you, but then also personally. But um, just for the listeners that may not know you, you've been with KP, you know, since the since the very beginning. But maybe if you could just explain a little bit um, uh, about yourself and about the work that you do. Sure. Um, well, approximately probably 23 years ago at Christmas time, um, my niece on my husband's side, her children died in a farm fire. It was her only two children. And so that was really the first traumatic loss besides my grandparents that I had um, experienced. And from that, just being a part of that family and watching um, how the family was grieving, I decided to, that that might be an area that I would like to pursue as far as uh, counseling. And so I entered Dr. Wolfelt's program out in Fort Collins, Colorado um, at his Center for Loss and Life Transition and ended up getting certified in grief and death. Um, and so then from there pursued it through the church, later went back to school and got my social work degree. And so that's the population I work with mainly at KP is grief, not just through loss or death, but, you know, job losses, um, caregivers and different areas like that. Plus then I run the aftercare program soul prints at Fitzgerald's funeral home. So. Well, I know you are extremely busy with the handful of different things that you're involved with and, and, and because it's uh, has grown and, and maybe it's, you know, maybe a combination of, uh, you know, having, having you educate me and inform me over the last you know, 20 plus years. Um, but it, it seems like there's a lot more, um, uh, a, a lot more awareness about grief counseling and, and the grieving process. And so I, I, I think that's a good thing, um, you know, in, in general. Um, right. So, so maybe right now, especially with, uh, you know, with COVID happening and the pandemic happening, it seems like there's more, um, more, you know, um, death is always around us it's because it's part of life, but it right. seems like that has definitely been amplified over the last six to seven months. Um, right. And maybe even if it isn't loss of life, um, there have been people that have been sick, um, mm -hmm. being able to spend time with people um, if they're in assisted living or you know, a lot of those things we haven't been able to do um, like we right. normally um, did even a year ago. So um, mm -hmm. maybe you can speak just a little bit about um, not just loss of life only, but the loss of maybe normalcy. Right. Well, I think that just um, since COVID happened in the spring, I've seen more of a complexity to grief, I think. And, I re and the reason I say that is because I think there's just really this collective loss of, as you mentioned, normalcy. Um, loss of connection to people because of social distancing or when we were sheltering in place at the very beginning. We have a loss of our routine, so life as we knew it. Um, and then there's just this whole loss of what does the future hold for us because we don't, we don't know. And because COVID started in the season of spring, you know, we were moving into summer so we could be outside. Now we're going into fall and winter 
and winter, you know, has its other set of, uh, what would you call dynamics to it um, when it comes to grief too. So I would say the gr people grieving has become a little bit more complex. And so like things that I see when people are on edge now with COVID are like hypervigilance, you know, where um, we're really hypervigilant to people sneezing or coughing, um, to social distancing. Like if you're in the store and someone's not six feet away from you, we might be very sensitive to that. So then I also have seen, which I'm sure you have too, is just the increase in anxiety in people. And even if I'm not an anxious person normally, you know, I may be experiencing even more of that now too. And things like um, us being more upset. I want to uh, kind of angry um, because we can't, these are things we can't control. So there might be more anger within us. And so um, also, as you and I know too, our world's probably not going to ever be the same. Right. And people well, are realizing that. Well, and I think, you know, there's an element that because, <clears throat> because of it's that anger, I think, in frustration is also coming from a place of who can I trust and what sources, um, you know, this being a political year and, and all the uh, political election year for presidents and all the different, um, you know, aspect of pointing fingers and blaming. And, and so this happens every four years, we know, whenever the election comes up. But even more so now, because of feeling like we need to have information about the mm -hmm. virus, and, mm -hmm. and how do we stay safe, but not knowing what can we trust, who to trust, and what sources to trust. I think there's just an added element um, to, to everything. Um, right. Well, don't you think, too, we're seeing more, I think sometimes it's just hard to regulate ourselves emotionally. You know, we're, we're getting so much kind of, I call it sensory overload. There's just so much going on. And you bringing up the election is another good, you know, point that we're just, I think it's hard for people to learn how to um, regulate themselves and their emotions. And so, you know, then we have stress that comes into play, right? And you know, as far as just um, have, you know, your history and bodybuilding and just your self-care physically. When we have chronic stress, of course, it's going to affect our immune system. And so I think there's just a lot of different things that people are dealing with, thus making this grieving more, more complex. Well, I think, you know, it, it, this is, you know, it's interesting for me. I started lifting weights, uh, uh, consistently on a regular basis um, when I was 11 years old and so the and, and actually started going to the gym when I was about 13 um, and, and this is the first time that I have not gone to a gym since I was 13 years old I haven't I still haven't returned back to the gym um, I've been working out you know, um, four times a week, uh, four to five times a week, typically more four, um, that I do an actual routine. And then I do something every day um, regarding either stretching or meditating. But I, I know that that is another thing, you know, and I know some gyms are open and, and I've just made a choice not to go back for a handful of different reasons. But I know that that is another thing that it takes even more energy 
and effort to um, uh, to, to be self-disciplined because now I don't, there's not that reinforcement of the other people around me or people that I may normally uh, see at the gym or whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Plus I think I'm seeing an increase more in the anticipatory grief mm-hmm. that we can experience too. Um, this, just this, I think we kind of feel there's more loss to come and again, I'm not saying just loss by um, death, but just, you know, again, if we, have, if we go back to phase two or if we go back to whatever phases prior, you know, that's going to be another loss. And so it's almost like we're anticipating that there could be more loss to come, which then I think brings in a feeling of kind of hopelessness with people too. Right. You know? And when people have lost their loved ones, when I'm working with them that way too, there's just, I think all the emotions are more heightened because COVID's a part of this now too, because I'm not being able to have, you know, funerals, visitations, the way that we used to, we're limited now again, that shifted back to 25, I believe this past weekend, you know, in groups, you could be in 25 social distancing. So we're already seeing changes again. So, so speaking of that, so, you know, and, that, and that's something that um, unfortunately in the last, you know, month um, I've had individuals that either I went to high school with or, or that I used to work with that have, that have died during this time period. And mm-hmm. even as, as something as, uh, you know, I, I hear about it, I heard about it through either through a social media or through, through somebody um, and got the information that way. But there was no obituaries. I haven't seen the obituaries. I haven't seen, you know, and, and then even if I do see the obituary, then the idea of maybe the, the there isn't a funeral at this particular time, you know, there mm-hmm. it hasn't been scheduled or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what can some people do? Because there's, there is typically that's, that's part of the grieving process is that we have these certain ceremonies or certain rituals that allow us to have a, a place for our inner, for that energy to go. Um, mm-hmm. What would you, what do you see with that happening? And what would be something that we could possibly do um, if, if, if we're being limited to being able to have um, those, those, the ceremonies of the funeral, um, what are some things that we might be able to do uh, to help that healing process? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that a good thing is we have to validate and affirm our feelings. You know, we have to be able to share what we're experiencing with others, if it's our family, if it's friends, if it's, you know, a counselor or going to see, you know, services. Um, and we can affirm them our feelings in different ways, either talking or journaling through music or art. Um, But the thing with, because what happens when we're able to have a funeral and a visitation is we're really saying goodbye to the physical body and hello now to the grieving process. And in order for us to do that too, um, that's why people come around and surround us and pay their respects, you know, to the person that passed away. Um, So their grieving process can start too, even as, you know, friends or family. So I always really try to encourage families if 
again, we can we have rituals and traditions that we can do in our homes too. And this time of season is a good place to do that. So you were asking me, so like at Thanksgiving, maybe I couldn't have, you know, a full funeral, but at Thanksgiving time, we can still honor that person that passed away by lighting a candle or having, you know, um, something red at that time. Same with Christmas. Um, so there's different things that we can do to still honor that person and continue that grieving process, even though maybe it didn't begin, you know, what we're normally used to, how we're normally used to having. That. Does that make sense? Sure. Oh, yeah. And, and I think those are things that, I mean, I know that we've done in our family and, mm-hmm. you know, things that, you know, we can do, even if we do, even if it is during a time period of those you know, traditional ceremonies that we can be, that can be done, you know, public or, you know, semi-public um, events where larger gatherings of people can be there. It, Cause I think it's good. At least I know for me, it has been good for me to not only share stories of mm-hmm. the one that's passed, but also to hear stories of other people's perspective about their relationship with that person, what that meant to them. Um, right. And there's something about that that seems to be seems to have some healing components to it um, of, of just being able to hear those stories, mm-hmm. um, share those stories, um, mm-hmm. share in those stories. Um, yeah, there's something there's something about that, and maybe it's um, about that person then coming to coming to the forefront of our consciousness, not just the 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 lack of them physically being there, but their 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 lives are still living within us because of us sharing those memories. Right, which is really kind of nice. Why, like I know at Fitzgerald, you can go on and do um, send online condolences. Mm-hmm. If you put the person's name in, and you go into most funeral homes have that where you can, you know, extend your condolences. So I that's another good way to share a memory with the family or your thoughts on that person? How did that person impact your life or what did that person add to your life? Same thing when we send out cards and notes. It's, I encourage people to share a memory, write a memory in the card or let the person and family know what this person meant to you. You know, even like what, what were their strengths you saw in them? You know, if you were their coworker, or, you know, a lifelong friend or something like that. And again, if I write a note to you, let's say you lost someone and I write a note to you and maybe kind of remember to do that every three months or something, again, I am allowing you to also grieve when you open that, you know, that process is still present because you're reading about what I have to say about your loved one that passed away or giving you words of encouragement or you know, things like that. So that's how we can support one another, you know, outside of um, physically being in the same vicinity with each other is text, you know, dropping a text real quick, thinking of you, you know. Um, So I think we have to be more creative now in how we support one another. Sure. And the different ways we can do that. So I know this is this is not going to be an easy question maybe to answer, and I know it's complex. You know, there's there's multiple multiple uh, uh, 
could be multiple answers to this, right? So, so, but sometimes, and maybe it's amplified now. Um, I think this happens all the time, but it, but it may be amplified right now. But how they use the phrase that sometimes a person will get stuck in their grief. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they that they they seem they seem to get stuck in a certain aspect of. Of, of feelings um, about what's going on. Wh what would you, from your observation with some of the clients that you work with, when someone gets stuck, now obviously the, the opposite, as they work through that stuckness, right, then that's, you know, that's part of the healing that we talk about. So, but what are some components that may lead to someone being stuck? Um, well, a good, a good example would be what's really natural for us to do when someone passes away is we kind of place them on a pedestal. And so we don't um, maybe acknowledge struggles that we might have had with the person or just parts of their personality maybe that, uh, you know, we kind of conflicted with. And so what happens is then I can get stuck in this feeling like this person was, you know, way up here and I'm here and we have to kind of bring that person back to a level with us too um, and start working through some of those other feelings that we're having. Um, abandonment from them or anger with them and so that we can continue to move forward the whole thing I think about being stuck is the fact that we have to acknowledge sometimes we choose to stay stuck out of fear of moving forward. Because wow. okay. if I move forward, then I'm a lot of times we feel like we're leaving that person behind. Okay. So, so maybe, <clears throat> maybe I will be stuck in my sadness or, or, or stuck in my anger and, and hang on to that because it's a way of somehow you're, what you're saying is that I'm, I'm able to keep, if I let go, then I may forget about them or I may minimize their impact on my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And because our, we're, we're afraid that if we engage back in life and engage in activities that we enjoy doing, we're, our, your mind is thinking, well, I'm leaving them behind. And why should I enjoy life when they can't enjoy life or they're not here to enjoy life with me? Mm. Really, they're with us all the time. And so um, if some people will get stuck because of that fear of living this life without this person and not feeling that they're worthy of doing it, mm -hmm. of this life and moving forward, does that? Sure. And that's kind of why, you know, sometimes we'll see that pedestal piece with people too well and i and i and i and i think it's a it's a natural thing right when someone when someone dies we have a tendency to you know or there's some loss that happens we have a tendency to elevate mm -hmm. the 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 good times or the things that you know were good about that situation um it's, it's similar to a breakup in a relationship if we're broken mm -hmm. up with in the in the in the complexity of of that ending and maybe even a sense of rejection we, we fixate on the things that w weren't going to be or aren't going to be anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Even if that, even if we tie into it some magical thinking of that, maybe it was even better than, mm -hmm. than, than, than it actually was, right? Because mm -hmm. we're still in that idea of how we want it to be, right? And um, 
and I think sometimes maybe that's even what's happening, you know, right now where we may be having a, a deeper appreciation or longing for how things were maybe a year ago and the, the freedom that we had of being able to go to different places and things. But, you know, I think it's really about what things can we, during this time of change, um, what things can we learn about ourselves? If that change happens to be a loss of a person in our life, or if it's a loss of um, an aspect of our normal socializing, um, how can we be creative, like you said, um, to still create those memories, still create um, opportunities for connection? It just may be, well, it's going to have to be different, right? Right. Right. And you know, when you were talking about feeling like I'm stuck in my grief, if someone would say that to me directly, you know, I feel stuck in my grief, then I would, I would ask them, what, what does it, what does it feel like to be stuck in their grief? What do they mean by being stuck in their grief? Uh That is different for every person, you know? So I, I try to have them define what they mean by stuck, stuck in their sure yeah well and and i think that i think that makes it makes a lot of sense because we have to start with where where they get that sense or that feeling and sometimes Mm -hmm. as a as a as a family member or friend or or some kind of guide in this we may we may notice a pattern Mm -hmm. of of someone repeating certain things or or doing certain things over and it probably doesn't benefit benefit us if we accuse someone of being stuck, but right. we, we can ask them questions about, you know, and because like you said, we don't know exactly what's going on with them. We only know what they've shared. Right. So let me go back to the pedestal piece. Cause maybe I need to bring this full circle. So recently I was speaking with someone and they said, you know, I just kind of feel stuck and just feel stuck. And I, okay, describe what that means. Well, you know, the person that passed away, I, I've put them up here. And like you said, focused on all the good things that we shared, but yet there was a lot of a struggle in that relationship too. And so th- that person felt like they, could, they couldn't move forward because all they were looking at was all the good things and kind of putting the struggles, you know, in the back seat. And so finally, when she was sharing more of that, I said, okay, well, let's talk about the struggles. What is it? What, you know, what were those struggles? And then as um, she started to work on that, then see that person that was on the pedestal comes back down to being just like you and me. And then she was able to process more of those negative feelings that, that was, that were present so that she could continue to, grieve in a healthy way does so that's kind of why i talked about putting someone on a pedestal and sometimes people feel stuck there because they've got this person really high up here as if they had no faults Mm -hmm. there was no struggle so well and i think maybe that's just good uh some good uh, you know direction anyways is that if we have a tendency to put someone above or below us um we aren't really seeing the person for who, who we are, who they are. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, and, 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 
again, I think that there's that tendency that if we villainize someone, make them the bad guy of the story or make them bigger than life, I think there's probably some, some level of risk doing that because where are we in relationship to that? Correct. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so, so I think that, I think that just to be mindful of that um, and I, and, and maybe even more so right now with all the different things that are happening and, you know, with, like you'd mentioned, um, uh, due due to some increase around this area, um, in other parts of the country, there's been an in, um, increase in cases of a positive positive COVID cases. So then there's been more restrictions put on to try to get control um, of the virus from spreading. So, and we may not fully understand, and we know that there's a ripple effect of that, um, mm-hmm. and and maybe like you said, maybe even more fear that what else is going to what else is going to happen? Kind of like what what originally happened in March and April. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so Delinda, I know uh, I know you have to get off to, uh, to to start seeing some clients today and mm-hmm. and, and busy working. But um, as always, I appreciate you coming on and just sharing a little bit of um, your experience and your your perspective about how um, we can one um, be aware of how we're handling these changes and mm-hmm. and if there is a more specific loss that's happened in our life meaning a loss of life um, what things can we do to be um, conscious and aware and mm-hmm. being able to share with other people um, our thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. any any last thoughts for any of the listeners about anything they may be going going through and and maybe we can have you on as we get closer to the holidays for some specifically to how to help um the healing process during, during the holidays, but. Right. Well, I think I would just like to end by really encouraging people to really practice good self-care at this time. If it's through just again, validating and affirming your feelings, um, connecting with others in the ways that are possible for us to do that. You know, even maybe writing a gratitude journal. What's one thing I'm thankful for this day Um, learning to relax and just rest and care for yourself, you know, sleeping and eating nutritionally and getting some form of movement, Um, you know, practicing mindfulness. I just really think it's time for all of us to really just practice those good self-care and encourage one another to do that and try to really find moments of joy, you know, at at this point and allowing ourselves to feel that and share that with others. So I think self-care has, is really important. Well, and like you said, that idea of self-care is not only physically, but mentally and emotionally as well as spiritually and, and just being mindful and just being aware of what is happening with us, regardless if that's being resistant to something or, or gravitating towards something. So, right. Well, Delinda, thank you very much for being with us, and I'll look forward to having you on the show again uh, so you can kind of uh, share with us some of your observations and uh, some things that you've, lo- you've learned along your own journey. So. Okay, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. Thanks. Mm-hmm.